This fall, we've been looking through uh, the Bible at different stories, different passages, where we find in the Bible God asking questions. Uh, Asking questions can be a powerful way to communicate. Uh, Questions really make us slow down. They make us pause. They give us time to think and time to reflect. For instance, as a parent, I've found myself following countless generations of parents in the art of using questions to communicate. Uh, For instance, I'll say things like, do you want me to turn this car around? Um, Or uh, something like, do you want me to take that away? Uh, Or how would you like it if somebody did that to you? And, And so on. So I'm asking but I'm not just asking. Uh, I'm also telling, right? At the very least, I'm saying, I want you to slow down right now. I want you to think. I want you to reflect on what you're doing. I want you to own what's going on right now. And, um, and so that we've been seeing that throughout this series. So far, we've, been, uh, we've looked at eight passages from the Old Testament, and now we're going to look at seven or eight from the New Testament. And so we're getting into the New Testament this morning with this passage from Mark that's in your bulletin on page seven, if you want to turn there. Um, But here in Mark chapter 2, we get a question from Jesus, who is God in the flesh. Um, And we find a story and a question here that that I think really does force us to slow down and think and reflect on what Jesus is really communicating here. Because he asks this question in Mark chapter 2, which I'll read in a moment again, but this is the question. He says, which is easier Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? And you got to spend some time thinking and wrestling with that question. So follow along as I read Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll try to think through this story in Jesus' question. This is God's Word, Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And when he, that is Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed And glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's go before the Lord in prayer.
Father, be with us now, we pray. Pour out your Spirit in order that we would understand your Word, but also that it would be applied to our lives. That you would lift our eyes to see Jesus, who alone can forgive us of our sins. And that this very morning we would find the wonderful freedom of that good news. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, we all love stories. Stories can come in all kinds of different forms, right? There's stories that you read in books, books that you love, or there's stories sitting around your kitchen table uh, sharing tales of yesteryear kind of thing, or there are stories that you watch uh, on your TV show or, 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 in your, or in your television or, um, or in the movies. And, and I think a part of what makes a good story is having a good plot twist to the story, uh, something that you didn't see coming, something that surprises you or catches you off guard. Uh, you know, this one I thought was the bad guy, he winds up being the hero, and it's a twist. Uh, the, the, the one you thought was the good guy, you find out he's been hiding some kind of terrible secret, or everything seemed completely hopeless, but seemingly out of nowhere, and from the most unexpected place or person Hope arrives. Um, It's the unexpected twists and turns in our stories that that really engage us, and they make us think, and they let us see things from different angles. Uh, Probably the worst critique a movie can get is when a friend of yours says, don't go see that movie. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. It was all too predictable, right? That's a bad critique. There were no unexpected twists or turns that force you to think and see things differently. Don't waste your time with it. Mark gave us a story here about Jesus forgiving and healing a paralytic. And this story is full of unexpected twists and turns that really engage us and make us think deeply about the forgiveness he offers. Uh, this, would have been, man, this would have been such a great opportunity, such a great Sunday to catch you off guard and say two points, four points. There's three. Um, three points, three twists. I'm that thoroughly Trinitarian. Um, anyway... Um, Here they are, the real need, the real forgiver, and the real trouble. The real need, the real forgiver, the real trouble. First, the real need. In a move that that must have caught his original audience completely off guard and, and really should catch us off guard, Jesus exposed this paralytic's real need. And in doing so, He's exposing our real need, the deepest need of our lives, the need that exists beneath all other needs in our lives. So here, let's just talk about the scene for a second. Jesus was preaching in someone's home in Capernaum, and it was packed. 
There was no room for anyone to even try to squeeze in through the front door. So friends of this paralytic, four friends of this paralytic, they dramatically opened a hole in the roof and lowered their friend down to Jesus in the room. You just kind of got, got to imagine it. This had to have been a pretty significant disturbance to the evening. I wonder what the homeowner thought about this. Um, there was noise. Certainly as they made their way through the roof, stuff was falling from above onto the people in the room. And then this paralytic is lowered through that hole on a mat, and you can just imagine his four friends peering down into that room. And everyone in that room focused on Jesus. What's he going to do with this? What will Jesus say? The silence was broken when Jesus said to the paralytic in verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven. And if you're imagining this scene with me, I think you can imagine the paralytic shooting a quizzical, confused look up to his friends peering, peering, up from, peering down from above. And then maybe back at Jesus, as if to say, um, thank you for that, but uh, I don't know if you noticed, my legs don't work. That's why I'm here. Who said anything about forgiveness? And that's the twist. They were expecting one thing, a physical healing, but Jesus unexpectedly seems to ignore this man's broken body. And he doesn't entirely. He comes back, he heals his body. But Kent Hughes writes that from our perspective, it almost seems cruel that Jesus sees the paralytic and tells him his sins are forgiven. But in what seems cruel in that twist, Jesus is, he's forcing these people to think. And he's forcing us to think. It's in the unexpected twist that Jesus was saying something profound. He was saying, your real need is far deeper than your circumstances, no matter how hard they are. There is a need, he's saying, that is more primary, that is more basic, that is more fundamental than your hard, trying, difficult circumstances in your life. Your real need, your deepest need, is forgiveness. Now, I, I don't know where you're coming from this morning, where all of you are coming from. That might sound weird to you, I don't know, or it could be that you're so familiar with the story that you're expecting this. You're expecting forgiveness when you really should be caught in the tension of what's so unexpected here. Or you might be thinking maybe forgiveness was the deepest need in a traditional culture like this. But that certainly doesn't seem to be the case today. We've moved beyond that, you might think. Because many people don't even acknowledge that there is such a thing as sin. And if you don't have sin, how can you have guilt and shame and all that kind of, there's nothing to be, feel guilty about or ashamed about. I tell this story 
really just once every year or two, but its own twist in this story left its impression on me. Several years ago, there was a TV game show that came out called The Moment of Truth, and I only saw one episode and and maybe part of another, but it was canceled very quickly because it, it was a bit controversial. The premise of the show was pretty simple. It was this, prior to the live show, These contestants were hooked up to a polygraph, to a lie detector, and um, they were asked a bunch of, a a series of personal questions, but they weren't allowed to see the results of the lie detector or, or the polygraph. And then during the live show, the contestants were asked the same exact questions, only this time they had to do it in front of their family and friends who were seated a few feet away from them. And so they had to find the courage to answer these questions honestly in front of their loved ones. And every time they answered a question right, they would win money and they would advance in the game and so on. Uh, The results of the lie detector were the check to the show. So after the contestant answered, a generic computer voice would come on and say, true if their answer squared with the lie detector test, or it would say false um, if the contestant's answer wasn't the truth. And so this young woman uh, in this episode that I saw was the contestant, and she was answering these questions in front of three people, her husband and her mom and dad. And they were seated, I guess, about 10 or 15 feet away. And the questions increased in difficulty as she progressed and the show went on, would you rather give food to a homeless person or a dog? To a homeless person, she said. Generic computer voice came on, true. She advances. Have you ever been glad to see one of your siblings get in trouble? Yes. Computer voice, true. Do you think your parents are proud of you? Yes. True. It's a brief Sweet moment there. Um, But then came the very next question. Do you think you should be married to your ex-boyfriend? Husband seated 15 feet away. She said, yes. Computer voice, true. Camera pans to um, destroyed husband 15 feet away. She won $100,000 when she got past that question, and she kept going. Next question. Since your marriage, have you ever had sexual relations with someone other than your husband? Let's acknowledge this. You're uncomfortable hearing it. I'm uncomfortable telling it. She said, yes. Computer voice, true. Husband, undone in pain and humiliation. One more question. The very next question, in fact. Do you think you're a good person? She said, yes. Generic computer voice. False. So, remember, the show wasn't making a judgment on her character. Right? The polygraph, the lie detector, was saying her answer was really a lie. Game over, money gone, and I'm assuming her marriage too. I mean, isn't that fascinating? You can get rid of all the categories of sin, 
guilt and shame. You can tell and try to convince yourself that you're a good person. But the guilt and the shame doesn't lie. It is still there. It's a deeper problem than you know. And Jesus is saying in this passage, it's actually the deepest problem you have. He's exposing our real need more than anything. He's saying more than anything. Your relationship with your maker needs to be healed more than your legs. That relationship needs to be reconciled. Jesus caught this man and his friends off guard. He was making them think. And really that's all I'm trying to do in this first point, if I'm honest with you, is to say think. Because we try to avoid it. And we try to shift our attention away from it. But deep down, we know. We feel like frauds. We feel like we're not enough. We feel like we're broken. We feel like we're not what we should be. And what I'm saying is, please pay attention to that. Because there is something there. Don't ignore it. Don't shift the focus somewhere else. Own your very real need. You know, this story is actually saying it's quite easy to shift the focus and to shift the attention away from your real need. Because you see it in this desperate attempt to get before Jesus. Jesus, if you would just heal my legs, my life would be okay. Or we're saying, Jesus, if you would just give me a more fulfilling job or more income, if I could just get past this traumatic event in my past, or if I could just fix my spouse, if I could somehow get control of my out-of-control life, if my kids would turn out right, if I had a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or whatever, and you say, I'm coming to you, Jesus, with my needs, Fix this or that, and then I'd be okay. And sometimes it feels cruel. And it feels like Jesus sometimes is ignoring our needs. But Jesus is saying, the cruelest thing of all would be for him to heal those needs and ignore your deepest need. Your real need of forgiveness. More than anything, your relationship with your maker needs to be healed. Do you see your real need? Will you at least think about it? All right, second, let's talk about the real forgiver. You notice down in verse 6, some scribes or, or teachers of the law were present for this. And when they heard Jesus tell the paralytic, your sins are forgiven... They became angry. Verse 7, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? There's another twist here. 
Because these scribes, these teachers of the law, they were caught off guard. They were shocked. They were horrified. To hear a man speaking like that, saying something like that, why is that? What do we learn from it? The other day, I I drove past a not uncommon sight on Perkins Road, unfortunately, a car accident. A young man apparently was not paying attention, and he plowed into the back of this lady's uh, car, and they were out talking about it when I was passing by, and unsurprisingly, uh, she was quite upset and angry, and you could see it all over her face. I did not hear the words, but... um, They didn't seem like nice ones. And um, what if when I drove by, I rolled down my window and I said to that young man, hey, I forgive you. Don't worry about it. (laughs) You put your insurance cards up, go home, all is forgiven. That lady might have said, who the heck do you think you are? Or maybe even more colorful language than that. She would say, you cannot forgive him. He didn't hit your car. He hit my car. Only I have the right to forgive him. Here's what Jesus was saying to this man. You notice that this is the first time they meet, I guess. He's basically saying, nice to meet you. All the sins you have committed throughout your entire life. All of the greed, all of the self-righteous anger, the pride, the lust, the petty jealousies, the lying, the compromises you've made. He says, that was all against me. I forgive you. See, Jesus was claiming to be this man's maker. He was claiming to be God, the one against whom all this man's sins were against. He was claiming to be the one who had the right to forgive him. Sinclair Ferguson writes about this passage, there's nothing wrong with the scribe's theology. And he's right. They were caught off guard, they were shocked, they were angry because they knew Jesus was claiming to be God and only God can forgive sins. Where they messed up was in failing to recognize that Jesus actually was God in the flesh the real forgiver of sin. Look, a number of you saw in the news this past week that uh, former Dallas police officer Amber Geiger was com- convicted of, uh, of murdering Botham John. And a number of you saw that Botham John's brother was given an o- opportunity to speak to the court. I know this because a number of you texted me that story, which I appreciate. And in incredible strength... In grace and love, you saw that young man speak directly to Amber and say to her, I forgive you. And you saw her weep. And the two of them embrace in the courtroom. And it was a very powerful scene. An incredible display of strength grace and love on that young man's part. Why was it so powerful? Because he lost his brother. His brother was taken from him. 
He was injured. He was hurt. He had been wronged. The offended party, he had the right to forgive. This is hard to do because it's a fresh story, and I don't want to begin... I'm not trying to comment on our judicial system or anything like that, but just try to stay with me on this subject of forgiveness. Because here's the thing. Even when we begin to see our need of forgiveness, we often, we often make mistakes. And I want to highlight two really common mistakes. I also watched Amber Geiger's testimony on the stand. And here's just a couple of lines It's not my language, this is her language. She said this, I feel like a terrible person. I feel like a piece of crap. I hate myself every single day. I wish he was the one with the gun who killed me. I know it's risky to even try this with it so fresh, but the point I want to make to you here is remove yourself from that scene for a second. I bet, I bet that language is not that unfamiliar to you. Disgusted with the self-centeredness you see in your life that is destroying your relationships you might say to yourself, I'm such a piece of crap. Despairing because you begin to see and get a taste of how all your manipulative efforts at controlling the people around you are beginning to, it's just twisting and distorting your kids, your spouse, your friendships. And you might say to yourself, I'm such a terrible person. Defeated because You visited that website. You told yourself you would never visit again. You might say to yourself, I hate myself every day. Do you know what that is? Because on, on the surface, it sounds like humility. And it sounds like repentance even. But it's actually a form of arrogance and pride. Because you think you can pay for your sin by feeling bad enough and guilty enough and shamed enough. And if you feel bad enough and if you feel guilty enough and you feel ashamed enough, you think, that's the ticket. I'll never go back there again. I'll be free of that. Let me just say this to you. You have tried that already. And it has not worked. Two weeks after the guilt wears off, you're right back in the same place. Why? Why? Because only the one wronged, only the one wronged has the right to pay for and forgive you of your sin and set you free. Well, when trying to pay for your sin doesn't work, it very often leads to the next mistake which is often to reason, I just need to learn how to forgive myself and move past this. Look, there's a lot of us in this room right now that if your spouse or your son 
or your daughter or your mom or your dad or a friend came to you today and said these three simple words, I forgive you, you know it. You turn into a puddle on the floor like that. And you would feel a weight lifted from you. And you would, find, you would feel to be free. Why is that? Because those mistakes and failures in your life that you have been trying and trying to move beyond and to move past and you've told yourself you just need to forgive yourself but deep down you know. You've always known. You can't really forgive yourself. Only the one wronged who has the right, the power to forgive you can actually set you free. Here's what Jesus was saying to this paralytic. I came to set you free. All your sins were against me. And therefore, I alone have the power to forgive your sins. And just stop here before the last point. Would you please think deeply about this? Your real need is to be reconciled to your maker, to be forgiven. And your only hope of that is that your maker would also be your real forgiver. That though you have ultimately wronged him, that he would be the one to move in to forgive you and to set you free. Think about that. All right, last, last point, the real trouble. Jesus knew what the scribes were thinking, so he spoke to them at the end of verse 8 and, and verse 9. And here's where we come to his question in verse 9. He asked, which is easier? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? And then you can see the rest of the story. Jesus told them, so that you know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he did. His physical body was healed, and he walked out of the house. But there's a twist. Because that question is a riddle. It's a riddle. Which is easier? And at first glance, on, on the surface, it looks like it's obviously easier to say you're forgiven. And much harder to make someone who can't walk, walk. And so Jesus healed the, the man's body so that they would know he could also forgive sin, do the easier thing, which is forgive. Um, but listen, when God asks questions, it's a really good idea to slow down and to pause, and to think, and reflect. Because I think what Jesus really wants you to reason is this. It's actually harder to forgive sins. But so that you know he has the authority to do the harder thing, he healed the paralytic's broken body with a word. Which is easier. Jesus is saying here, he's saying, the real trouble is forgiveness. Because to forgive sins, the one wronged has to pay the penalty for those sins. Has to pay the debt in full. 
almost 20 years ago now, I, I got a hold of some audio cassette tapes, a, a series of lectures by a guy, a scholar named Dr. William Lane, and it was his series of lectures through the Gospel of Mark, which ended up becoming a commentary and really one of the standard commentaries on Mark. Um, funny story, the other day, we're in my living room, well, anyway, I'll go ahead and tell it since I started it. Uh, Jennifer's on the computer, and she found a picture of an old Walkman-like cassette player, and she asked one of my kids, who I'm not going to mention who it was, she said, look at that. And they said, what would you use that for? Um, and uh, anyway, sad how fast time changes. Um, no more mixtapes, playlists, but anyway. Um, Dr. Lane defined, in the, that series of lectures, he defined Mark's gospel like this. He said, it's a passion narrative with a long introduction. The passion, the crucifixion of Jesus, that is the central focal point of Mark's gospel. It dominates the entire story he's telling. Mark intends for everything to be read in its light. The cross casts its shadow over every story in Mark. And that shadow of the cross begins to fall here in Mark's gospel when Jesus asks, which is easier? Because to forgive your sins, the perfect man, God's own son, had to pay the penalty and die a horrific death on a Roman cross. And because because he did, Because he loves you, he can look at you and say, son, daughter, all of your sins are forgiven. You're free. There is not one ounce of payment left for you to make. And if you try to make a payment, you insult me. Because I came to pay for everything. You don't have to worry about figuring out how to Forgive yourself, whatever that means. Because the one who you wronged, he has secured real forgiveness for you entirely through his death on the cross. Listen, it's only reconciled to him, to God as your father, who loves you and adores you and delights in you as his treasured possession so much that he sent his son to die for you. It's only that, it's only as you are reconciled to him as your father that you begin to find the resources to handle all the other problems of your life that come in this broken world, right? And you can face them with joy. It's only with this that you find the resources not to grow in bitterness over all the hard and difficult circumstances of your life. I mean, you think about this. If Jesus had healed this man's legs, great. But he was probably going to get sick next month. Or one day when he got old, his legs weren't going to work anymore. Only with this do you find the freedom to stop chasing all manner of things that will never satisfy you in this life. It's only with this that you become free to move out in love, in incredible strength and grace, to forgive others who have really hurt you, and to not drink drink the poison of resentment. 
It's too long a quote to read, but I encourage you to watch the video if you have time because Botham Jean's brother basically said this, I forgive you and love you because of the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the author Mark who recorded this story for us so that we might deal with its puzzles and its twists and turns that we might be brought to see our real need and to see with eyes of faith our real forgiver who has come and he came and he did the hard thing. He came to live and to die and be raised from the dead so that we could know and have the assurance that all of our sins are forgiven and that we are free in him. Father, would you please take this good news and write it upon our hearts and allow us to walk in its freedom. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.